0: Thank you, everybody being here this morning, and thank you for this. It's quite an incredible assortment of colors, isn't it? It really says exactly what we're hoping it would say, that there is life. And um, my name is Grant, as Melody said. It's so good having you guys down the front. You're not normally here. This is awesome. Because, yeah, you'll smile, and I'll feel like I'm doing a good job, right? Because you guys are just like thumbs up. If I say something weird, just like, if you're not following or understanding, just do this, Okay. If you're following, do this every now and then. Uh Uh-oh. You know, question, Uh, how do all the best stories, like when you were a kid, how do they end? What's the last words of the best fairy stories? And they all lived happily ever after, right? I was actually reading um, in Wired magazine. anyone read read Wired magazine? It's about tech. It's really interesting and quite scary at times, the things that technology is doing in our country and our world. But it's really interesting, and there was actually an article just this week, as I was thinking about this message today, uh, that talked about scientists have kind of proven that we like uh, happily ever afters. The article actually said, your brain prefers happy endings. So if you go on vacation, and uh, the whole vacation is wonderful, but on the last day it rains, you'll remember it as a bad vacation, and you won't want to go there again. But if the whole beginning part of the vacation is not very nice, and it's raining, and the last couple of days are beautiful, you'll remember that. It's like the last thing you will remember... Uh, And I think it's true. People love a happily ever after. Uh, Cultural statistics for people who do, you can find almost any statistics on the internet. I'm trusting this one's fairly accurate because they keep a record of who's watching television and what they're watching, right? But apparently during the Christmas season, more than 80 million people watch at least a few minutes of a Hallmark movie. Do we have any of those people in here? Really? That's all? You call yourselves Christians? Christians? I'm kidding. I'm not saying it's an exclusively Christian habit. But in winter 2021, there were 41 new, brand new Hallmark movies for your enjoyment. 41 were produced just for Christmas 2021. Did anyone watch every single one of them? Oh, we got some people. Yeah, man. If you're going to do it, go big. You know, there were some great movies. There was Nantucket Noel, a big favorite. Remember that one? A Very Merry Bridesmaid. Do we have the pictures? Let's do Nantucket Noel. We got images? Oh. Well, we've got Jesus. That's enough. We don't need Nantucket Noel. We working? A Very Merry Bridesmaid was the second one. Do we have a Very Merry Bridesmaid? Okay. This is so disappointing because, because the kids, the, the last ones... The last one's the one bit in the sermon that the kids will enjoy. Okay, basically, you're going to have to imagine that it's the two perfect people in the world with each other. They met through a series of strange events, and they fell in love, and it was perfect. Very Merry Bridesmaids, same deal, pretty much. All the pictures are sort of the same. You, me, and the Christmas tree. Anyone? Boyfriends of Christmas past was a fantastic... <laughs> That one's got the one girl and a bunch of other guys, but they all look perfect. Perfect skin, perfect clothes, perfect shape, whatever that is. And my very favorite, which, sorry kids, the nine kittens of Christmas. Yeah! We're just going to leave this on for the whole rest of the message, so you guys are happy. Because the kids are in here today. Yeah, right. I want that job. I want the job as the person who comes up with names for Hallmark movies. That would be fun. Because you're in the office, you get as much Starbucks sugar cookie almond... You want to come up there? Come on. No, I'm kidding. Stay. No, stay. Someone grab hold of that child. You're in the the brainstorming meeting, you get as much Starbucks sugar cookie almond milk uh, latte from from the office holiday drinks dispenser before any of the general public gets that Starbucks favorite. As much as you want... Uh, You've got a whiteboard for brainstorming your ideas, and also what you need is the ability to suspend reality for profit to come up with these stories, right? Because let's be serious, life is never much like a Hallmark movie, right? Perfect people in perfect clothes, doing perfect things with other perfect people, and it all gets tied up with a nice bow at the end, and it's happily ever after. I think sometimes the Christian faith gets portrayed like it's sort of a Hallmark movie, Just a wonderful addition to your already spectacular life. And here's how it goes. And this is true, by the way, but it's not the whole picture. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And we can stop there, right? That's often how it's portrayed. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Cue the Hallmark music. And even concepts of the rapture, of, you know, we're all longing for this day when we're whisked away, or heaven. When I get to heaven. And I think, though, that the way we talk about the Christian faith as if it's somehow just about a happily ever after can leave a lot of people feeling terribly unprepared for when life is anything but a happily ever after. We're in this uh, sermon series, which we're just continuing in through Easter, and we covered parts of Mark on Thursday, Friday, and uh, Saturday because it seemed weird to do uh, you know, this whole week and then preach on his death and burial and resurrection, et cetera, right? But we happen to be here on this day, and it's, it's the final part of the story. We've been in the in Gospel of Mark since January 2021, and here we are, the ending of Mark's Gospel, Resurrection Sunday. We are reading and reflecting on the final words. This is it, the finale, and what better place to have a happily ever after, right? Happily ever after, especially for those of us who participated in the events of the past few nights of Thursday when we came and we considered the night when Jesus was betrayed and then abandoned by his friends. Good Friday, the day of his brutal murder and death. And then Saturday, the day of waiting where we had this table laid out here and there was a shroud on it. It feels like the the day when all hope was apparently lost. This is the day for happily ever after, right? Right? And we are at the end of our journey now with Mark, our messenger, our guide, who's been shining a light for us on the messenger, who is also the message, Jesus of Nazareth, God with us, God in human flesh, our Lord, Savior, friend, and companion on the road. We're going to read this text. This is the last bit we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, then feel free to open that Bible. We'll have the text up here. If you don't have a Bible, you just have to believe that I'm an honest preacher and I'm pl- playing tricks on you. Um, And it's Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. So it says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid that's it? Is that the end? You might be thinking this is a strange ending to the story. Trembling and bewildered, they fled, said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. And you would not be alone. Many readers of Mark's gospel have been perplexed as to why, potentially, as we're going to find out in a minute, Mark's gospel ends so abruptly without the closure that all the other gospels seem to have. They all seem to end with a lot more content that rounds the whole story off. Not like this. But if you have a Bible in front of you, you'll see there are really some issues we need to figure out here because in most of our Bibles, there's an additional part and an ending to Mark. And just got to explain this. I've uh, cut and pasted a couple of bits from the from the ending. Do we have that? Okay. Oh, yeah, we go. So the earliest manuscripts and some of the witnesses, witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. So. Some of them go on 9 to 20, but the earliest manuscripts that that we have seen or have possession of don't have this extra ending on Mark. And then this other, some manuscripts have this other verse in there. What is all this about? Does Mark's gospel end with verse 8? This weird ending, it just seems so unresolved that the women don't tell anyone, they're scared, they flee. Or is there another ending? Well, there's a few solutions that people have proposed over the centuries. And the first is this a lost ending, okay? There was an ending, Mark wrote it, somehow it got lost. And let me tell you, I know a little bit about losing documents. You know tomorrow is tax day? I think they changed it because we're not that organized and you know, W-2s, 1095A, 1095B, they have a habit of getting buried in piles of papers sometimes, right? Oh, you, by the way, you know tomorrow is the last day to file your taxes without an extension, right? Okay, good. No one got up and ran. So we're good. But maybe a a lost ending. So Mark's dog ate his homework. (laughs) Or someone was going to go to the first century market for some couscous and wrote their shopping list on the last part of Mark's gospel, perhaps. But more scary than that, we think that There was persecution starting when Mark was writing it. One of the reasons he's writing his gospel is to encourage Christians who in the early church were experiencing the beginnings of persecution. Perhaps it was lost because of trouble, distress. Second potential uh, reason is for this other ending is that someone put a new ending on it. Pretty much all the scholars agree that up to verse 8 is definitely authentic Mark. But there's some concern that the other ones were put on later. And I think it's partly the desire for happily ever after. If you read uh, verses 9 to 20, you will see that there's a whole bunch of things in there that uh, don't sound like Mark. They repeat information he's already given us, and they really, it's too neat and tidy. It basically takes a whole bunch of other information that people had from eyewitness accounts and other writings and crams them all in because they needed to put an ending on Mark. Neat and tidy. Third possibility, what if this is Mark's actual ending? What if Mark, the author, intended to end this way? Well, we don't know exactly if that's true, whether it was lost, if there was this additional ending put on for a reason to kind of round this thing off, or if this is actually the way Mark ended it. But what we do know is this is the word of God, and what we have is sufficient. So we're going to look at what we have and think about what Mark might be having us understand, what, what the Holy Spirit might be teaching us to understand on this resurrection day, this Easter morning. The first thing is this, that the reaction from the women of the tomb may seem kind of unusual and strange, but actually, if you've been journeying with us in Mark, you'll realize that it's not that unusual for people to respond with awe, with shock, with fear when God works or when something happens, uh, even something that seems really positive. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus starts telling them early on, hey, I'm gonna be arrested I'm going to suffer, be rejected, I will be killed. And then he says, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Secondly, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him, but after three days, he will rise. They didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. You know, in Charter Oak, over here, we've been doing a Bible study through Matthew, and it's amazing how many times this happens in there, too, where it says, Jesus shares this stuff, and he shares this incredible News that he will rise again. There's, that there's hope beyond the grave and they don't get it. And they're actually the reaction is bewilderment, fear, anguish. You know, Mark is writing this gospel, as I said, to a group of persecuted Christians. People who are experiencing trouble, persecution like we could not imagine. It's beginning to stab at the outer edges of their community. And they are worried, they are afraid. And the heart of Mark is trying to show them that... Though their suffering is real, yet there still is hope. But I think it's true that in our human experience, sometimes we can hear good news. Like on a Sunday, you can hear all that he has risen in your life and still walk out. Either thinking, well, that's all very well to say, but my life, this, this loss, this sorrow, this sadness... It's hard sometimes to connect with this story when we do it as a happily ever after in a way that actually connects with our real lived experience as human beings on this earth. You know, and if we've done this journey on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think we've all experienced there's something really about this gospel message, this story, this journey, this person, Jesus, that equally combines Both joy and also sorrow. So we can't have a message, even today, that simply says, "Go be well. He is risen." Just don't tell me about your problems, please, because I got enough of my own. But let's just put a happy face on, right? Put a flower on your face. Because there's always going to be a fresh challenge, a new obstacle, or a besetting sin that you can't seem to rid yourself of. So what does the gospel bring us? If it doesn't bring us simply a happily ever after right now, what does it bring us? Well, the first thing that this gospel ending brings us and tells us about is that not a happily ever ever after, but the redemption of what actually is in all of its facets, the good and the bad and the ugly, all of it, not a happily ever after, but a redemption of what actually is. So the the writer, Mark, tells us that the angel, it's an angelic appearance that's in this tomb, says, don't be alarmed, you're looking for Jesus in Nazarene, says he's not here, he's risen, but then he says, go tell his disciples and Peter, specifically says, Go and tell his disciples, but go and tell Peter. Why does it specify Peter? Well, if you were here on uh, Thursday evening, actually Friday evening, you would have heard the sad tale of Peter's denial three times of Jesus, that Jesus predicted that Peter denied that he would do. He said, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And he denied him. That's what is. The sermon last week was called, We are weak, but he is strong. That is that concept that we are not as strong as we hope that we can be. But what Christ's death and now his resurrection has done is he is redeeming what actually is. And he does this for Peter and the disciples who all deserted him. They all ran, scared, fled, locked the doors, hid away. Jesus alone, his closest friends abandoned him. And now the angel says, from God's mouth to the angel's message to the ladies' ears and, and hopefully to the men that go tell his disciples he's risen, he's not here. And go and tell Peter and that he's going to meet you in Galilee. You will see him just as he told you. Every failure now, and we'd fail, is, is, there's always the possibility of redemption now. He's redeemed and redeeming what actually is Not your ideal person, but you, me, as we actually are. We are forgiven. We are forgiven and free eternally. The second thing, not a happily ever after, not simply a happily ever after, but a brand new beginning. A brand new beginning happened on that day. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus in Nazarene. He was crucified, but he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell Peter, go tell the disciples, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. A brand new beginning. Something cataclysmic happened. Something fundamental changed about all of creation and reality when the dead man breathed. And death was broken. And a brand new beginning was embarked upon And the enthusiasm now to say, he's going ahead If you. Go. They'd be running to Galilee. You kidding me? He's there like he said he would. And everything was going to change now. Everything was going to change now. And the Holy Spirit would come and Peter and fill the disciples. And Peter would preach his first sermon. And thousands would come. And this movement would grow across the Roman Empire. So not simply a happily ever after. It's not the message for today. That, that's not what I'm going to hand you, like some, you know, implement that you probably won't find very useful. Like some of the stuff we buy on the shopping channel for our kitchen. What, what we're getting is something fundamental to our humanity. And it's about a redemption of things as they actually are and about new beginnings. So what do we do? Because clearly we don't see heaven on earth quite yet. That is the reality of this. We don't see the fullness of the kingdom come or the full effects of what we celebrated and remembered this week of his death and his burial, his resurrection. He is risen and we don't see the fullness of that redemption and we don't see the fullness of the new beginning come to fruition. So what do we do in the meantime? If not, simply wait for the happy ever after. here's what we do and here's what these women did in the passage they simply take the next faithful step just take the next faithful step in light of the redemption of things actually actually are and the promises that are fulfilled and the new beginning that is ours you know the women were unsure of what to do there's a lot of uncertainty at the beginning of this passage it says they were on their way to the tomb and they asked one another who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. Why even bother going? There's a massive rock, right? Who's going to roll the stone away? So what did they do? But they went. They did something. They took the next faithful step in their relationship with Jesus. So they went and they bought spices. They spent money and they purchased spices. And then they went The tomb, not knowing how they were going to enter the tomb, but they still showed up very early on the first day of the week to anoint Jesus' body. They showed up, and because they showed up, they encountered the story. They showed up, did the next faithful step, and they encountered something that they had not done, they had not control of. They met this, this. this this renewal, this redemption. The second thing is they did it in community. They did it together. It was Mary, Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. They brought spices that says they might go. They were on their way. They asked each other. The next faithful step and the next faithful step done in community. That's what we're all about here. This passage over here, these are new banners, by the way. And this is one that we feel really strongly about the, the heart of this. We share with you what we have seen and heard so that you also might have fellowship with us and with God in Christ. And together make our joy complete. We are not completing our joy without one another. These women went together. It is very significant for that time that there were women that went. What were the men doing? They were watching the Hallmark Channel secretly while the women were out. Right? Because they were sad and they are eating chocolate and watching the Hallmark Channel. So they took the next faithful step and they did it together. And therefore, because they showed up seeking to do what they could do, which wasn't apparently much, they were the first to encounter this radical news that Jesus had risen from the dead. So my question this morning is, what might be the next faithful step for you? Right where you're at, given that redemption is happening for what is, not what you might be, what you're going to become, but right now it is available to you. I love that the fact that he said, go to Galilee. In the story, you don't hear that they went and met Jesus yet. That's still to come. It also leaves the question, Like, will we go? Will we come? Will we simply say, I I am done with the way I've been managing, coping, surviving. There's something in this story that I want, and I don't know what it is all about. I don't know all the answers, but I simply want to say, first faithful step might just be, take my life, God, and you better believe he'll take that seriously, and he will do it, and you'll start finding things happening inside your soul and your heart, and you'll start to change, and you'll find community. The whole concept of love God and love others is, is what starts to blossom and happen. You know, maybe the next faithful step would be sit still in the quiet of the mystery or in the sorrow. It might be to show up more regularly and participate in the life of a faith community like this. It might be to seek to serve more and consume less. It could be any number of things what the next faithful step might be, but in that you will meet Jesus. This Holy Week we journeyed and lingered and reflected on this story. And I think the wonderful thing about Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the way we enact all these things is, is all these things are part of our lives. On Thursday, we gather. We remember that we gather to eat and celebrate our fellowship just as we are. And Jesus washed his disciples' feet that night, and he said, do this, like, serve one another, love one another. This is what we do as a faithful step. Good Friday, it means we don't shy away from suffering recognize that in Christ we are one and that the suffering of any one of us is a shared experience that is holy and sacred and it's a privilege to come alongside a suffering brother or a sister that's the message of Friday we saw the man on the cross we have many of us who are carrying heavy crosses we don't run away we linger and stay the day of waiting the day when it seemed like there was a silence there was a tomb like silence we know people who are waiting right now will we sit with them We just sit and wait with them, a faithful step. And then Easter, today, okay, it is today. But all over the world, people are suffering, right? In Ukraine, other places, there are people sitting around in this room this morning who are suffering. And that's kind of another message of Easter. On the morning that Jesus rose from the tomb, that day, probably, the Romans still crucified people in the most horrible ways Religious leaders still exploited and uh, the marginalized and the poor of their community. Lepers still wandered the streets the day Jesus rose, shouting out, unclean, unclean. But soon the spirit would come to the disciples. And Peter would, as I said, stand up and preach the good news, empowered by the spirit of God. And the movement of Jesus and his way will spread out upon this earth. This is not a Hallmark movie, my friends. It's a much better story than anyone could come up, no matter how much Starbucks coffee they've consumed. It is the redemption of what actually is. Therefore, we are invited as we actually are, not as we think we should be or one day will be or might be. It is about new beginnings. And yes, one day, a truly happily ever after more incredible than anyone could dream or imagine, every tear wiped from our eyes, no more death or dying or sorrow or sin, for Jesus has done it, amen? Let's pray, and then we're gonna worship our risen Savior as we are. Some of us can't sing, but we're making melody to the Lord in our hearts, amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that you receive us just as we are. Thank you that your love is immense, And your love is not simply a feeling or an emotion, but your love is an action that you have accomplished all that is necessary for us to step into relationship with you. Not as we wish we were, think we could be, not as we may one day be, but as we are today, right now, we don't have to figure it all out because you are the one who leads us. You are making us new. You are redeeming all things. Oh Lord Jesus, come soon, we pray. Oh, Lord, be uh, with those who are afflicted, those who are suffering around the world in famine and war. Lord, rise up your people, your church, to be your hands and feet to serve. Lord, help us to love one another deeply, to linger long, and to let these relationships grow. Uh, For you are the reason for it all, and we thank you in your name.